Hi. 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 Hello. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about building open, authentic, loving relationship. I'm curious about jealousy. I'm curious about polyamory. Does it just mean that you're fucking all the time? How can I tell my parents that my partner is already married? I'm curious about... How do you know when you're too busy to have another relationship? I'm curious about dominant and subordinate relationships. I'm curious about sexual health. How can relationships relationships evolve with people as they grow and change? Welcome to the Curious Folks Podcast. For those challenging the status quo in love, sex, and relationships. My name is Effie Blue. And I'm Jacqueline Misla. And today, we're challenging the idea that passivity is the same as peace. We all want peace of mind and peace in our homes. And so we often make decisions to ignore that annoying behavior, let go of that mindless remark, or move on quickly from an argument in order to maintain or regain peace. Those of us in the States who are preparing for holiday meals are also emotionally gearing up to avoid topics of politics and masks and vaccines and sports teams in the hopes of ending the evening with pie instead of pain. However, trouble emerges when we are consistently avoiding the hard conversation or the difficult next steps in order to keep the peace. That is when we begin to confuse passivity for peace. We maintain unclear relationships or prolonged breakups, remaining in a holding pattern where things are undefined and lines are blurred and desires go unsaid. However, we stay because our need for comfort and consistency trumps the desire for change. Estelle Perel refers to this as stable ambiguity, or as I like to call it, relationship purgatory. In short, It's people who are not happy but won't break up. This often comes up when people are at a decision point and they have conflicting desires or needs. It's something I see often with my clients and have admittedly experienced myself. Yes, yes. I've been there. (laughs) Yes, Yes. I stayed for sure in purgatory for way too long. Yes. Yes. Have you looked back? There are, there are relationships I was in for multiple years mm-hmm. and look back and was like, what was I doing? And can remember, I literally can remember getting off of the bus and like walking the route to this person's house and on the walk there thinking, why are you going there? Mm-hmm. Why do you keep going back there? Mm-hmm. And I did. I would keep going, Effie. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, Listen, it's so, so common. It's so common. In my yeah. work, the place where I see this the most, and it just happens to be it's what I focus on, right? It's the, it's the polymono mismatch, right? Mm, and, mm-hmm. you know, we talked about this before. So just a quick aside about the polymono mismatch. It's often misunderstood. So I like to just put this in there whenever we talk about polymono mismatch. The idea is not that if somebody wants to be non-monogamous and the other person wants to be monogamous, that it is an automatic mismatch. That's not the idea. There are plenty of healthy, Mm -hmm. thriving relationships where one person feels that their relationship orientation is non-monogamy and their partner feels that their relationship orientation is monogamy, Mm -hmm. yet they are okay being in an open relationship and they make it work and it's fine. Yeah, I'm in that structure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in that structure with my partner. I have, I have, you know, polyfidelitis. I have two partners. I go, I switch back and forth 
And my partner who I live with is clear that that is not, that's not something that she, she tried it. She didn't like it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She's like, I'm good. I'm good with you. And I, I'm good with being on my own when you're not here. And so it can, it's possible. It absolutely is possible. It is absolutely possible. And, (laughs) and sometimes it's not. (laughs) Sometimes it doesn't work. It upsets people. It stifles them. It does not support and nurture their thriving state. And then yes. it's called a polymono mismatch. Yes. One person is adamant. They're like, I want open. The right. other person, I do not. <laughs> not I only do not. Do, am I not open, I don't want to be in an open relationship and I don't want you to be open. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And these are fundamental differences and cannot be reconciled. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. It's unfortunate. I'm sure those people love each other. I'm sure those people want to yeah. be together. But the situation is the situation, right? And what happens is they get stuck in that state. They don't want to end the relationship and they can't figure out a way to to figure out an open relationship and they get stuck there for for years sometimes. And the conversation goes round and round and round in circles. I want this. I want that. You can't do this. I can't do that. Right. And they're in purgatory and it's not going to get reconciled. Neither person is happy. Neither person feels safe. Neither person feels seen. Yes, yes. Infidelity happens. And like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yet people stay. People stick around, right? And that is relationship to purgatory. You need change. It's Mm -hmm. not going to happen because you're not, because it's not available. Yet you stay. You don't make the decision to go the other way. Yeah. No, completely true. Completely true. And we mentioned, you know, infidelity can happen there. And that's another place where people Absolutely. get stuck. Yes. Myself yes. included. I'm raising my hand here. Yes. I have been in that place post transgression where I have felt stuck. For sure. It goes back to trust, right? After transgression, trust shatters. It happens. Yeah. Um, it's, it, you know, trust is a fragile thing anyway. It takes years to build, moments to to break. Yeah. We know this. Mm-hmm. Transgression happens. Trust is broken. And in an ideal world, if there's willingness and hard work and hopefully some support, you can rebuild trust. Hopefully mm-hmm. that's what happens. But sometimes, sometimes mm-hmm. you cannot trust, cannot be rebuilt after transgression. I hear this with clients all the time. I don't know if I can trust this person again. I can't trust, I can't trust yeah. them. I can't trust them. I can't feel, I don't feel safe. I don't. And it's, it's fair. And this is the other thing. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely fair because here's the, the ironic twist of transgressions, right? The person who transgressed breaks the other person's trust and they can do all the things to regain that trust. They can do all the work. They can do all the promises. They can work on integrity, keep their word, all those things. Ultimately, it's the person that was hurt has to do the ultimate work to take the leap of faith to trust again. Yes. And it sucks that that big leap falls with the person who was hurt. It is unfair. I get it. Yes. Right? Yeah, I've been there too. I feel like yeah. <laughs> I'm the poster <laughs> child for all of these situations. <laughs> right? And I, you know, it's unfair. And I work with this with clients all the time. I'm like, I hear you. It's unfair. It sucks. You shouldn't be, it should, there should be a very clear sign. You should feel, it shouldn't be a leap of faith. And ultimately trust, especially trusting again is a leap of faith. Yes. And that's what it is. Some people, they find a way to take, take that leap. Some people, they can't. And again, that's okay. It's understandable. Yeah. 
What turns into suffering though is when you stay in that relationship where you don't trust your partner. Yeah. I remember being in those conversations with you and my wife after the infidelity happened in my relationship where I didn't know. I didn't know if I could trust again. Mm. And it was really hard. And, and you know, I can look back now and have empathy for her because she was trying, she was going to counseling mm. with me and she was making shifts and changes and this and that. And I kept being like, I don't know. And at some point she's like, well, I don't know what else to do. Mm. I don't know how else mm. to prove to you. I don't know. I can't go back in time. I can't write that wrong. Mm. I'm trying now. And at some point it was me saying, okay. I see you. I see your effort. And that's going to have to be enough for right now. Mm -hmm. I cannot have any guarantee that it won't happen again. And I'm going to trust that yeah. we've learned enough through this process that we can move forward. But without that, we were absolutely for a really long time stuck in the loop of her keep trying to, to ask for forgiveness and to gain that and me saying, I don't know. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know. But then I wouldn't leave. And that's, right. that's exactly what we're talking about. Right. That is stable ambiguity. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't feel clear. I don't feel happy, but I'm also not going to go. Exactly. Exactly. And I think in your case, you took that leap of faith and that I step did. that you took also took you out and of purgatory. it worked purgatory, out well. <laughs> right? Yeah. It worked out well. It worked out well. Yeah. It did. Um, and I think that is the difference, right? Yeah. And either way it would have worked out because my wife and I are still together and we're able to, to, to change and transform our relationship. But if it didn't, if we did not stay together... It would have worked out well because I would have then moved on and been on my own. Yes. And like being unstuck, would, mm -hmm. no matter what the other alternative was, at some point right. being stuck was more painful than any other option that I could have chosen. Exactly, exactly. The, the, the weird comfort of purgatory that limits thriving is the issue, right? Because the, the mm -hmm. comfort of purgatory essentially puts you into a drift survival mode and you're never going to yeah. thrive from that place, right? You might be in yeah. this weird comfort zone and, you know, it's like people who live with chronic pain, right? It's not comfortable. You just mm -hmm. get used to it, right? It's the same yes. idea. You can, you, can, you can live with the chronic dissatisfaction or the chron chronic mistrust, but you're just not going to thrive. It's just going to continuously yeah. hold you back. Right? Yeah. And you're yes. better off mm -hmm. stepping out of that purgatory and dealing with the consequences of whichever way you're choosing, right? Rather than just like mm -hmm. hopping hopping on one foot at a fork in the road, you're yes. stuck. So you need yeah. to make, make that leap of faith. And in your case, you took that leap and it worked out for you. But I, I, I agree with you 100%. If you chose to leave, that would have also worked. That would have also been the right decision. Yes. The point is to make the decision. Yeah. The other one that I see a lot is, again, chronic lack of intimacy or connection or desire without any willingness to address it. Right. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, that you don't have intimacy. You've kind of defaulted into roommate mode or mm -hmm. there's a sexual desire mismatch. You're not getting your sexual desires met. There's bed death. Right. We talk about bed death. Yeah. That there is no um, real connection that you kind of feel almost like strangers. You don't have anything. You feel like you don't have anything in common. You don't have a common shared goal or an interest. Mm -hmm. Right. And if these things mm -hmm. are it's important to know that these things happen in relationships along the way, right? Ebbs and flows. We talk about ebbs yes. and flows. When it's when this is chronic, right? When it's not going away and there's yeah. like hope that things will change, but without any action, 
Yeah. Right? It's like almost like wishful thinking, right? Yeah. And believing that somehow consistency outweighs intimacy. That as long as you're waking yeah. up in the same house, next to the same person, going through the same motions, mm-hmm. somehow that is okay. Mm-hmm. Right. The bills are getting paid. The kids have stability. Like all the things are are going as they should. The appearances look well. Yeah. I mean, I know, I know that I just said that everything turned out well with my wife and it did. But we recently had to go, th- had some hard conversations around feeling a lack of connection with each other. We were absolutely in roommate mode. We were navigating around each other, like even to the point of like navigating past each other so that our none none of our body would touch the other person's body, that even our hands would not graze each other. We had like mm. gotten to that point of disconnection. And we both, it was clear that we both knew that was happening. Like there was a moment where I could not even remember the last time that we hugged each other. Mm. And then it took having to name it. And then mm-hmm. saying, you know, like, hey, this is my experience. Is this yours? And what was really interesting is my wife said, well, I've never been married before. So I just thought this is what happens at some point. And I was like, that made me so sad. I was like, this is what you thought was going to be. She's like, I guess I thought this is, I was like, no, like, (laughs) and and screw if this is like what people think happens in marriage. Like that's not going to happen in mine. Like we had to have some tough conversations and, and like, you know, had to go out to dinner a few times and had to like put down the dishes and go take a walk and like do things to rebuild that connection. But I share that to say that you can find yourself there, (laughs) right? You can wake up one morning and be like, wait a minute, when is the last time? that we held hands. When's the last time we had a conversation that wasn't about the groceries? Like, wait, what? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I think it's also worth mentioning the way out of purgatory or a stable ambiguity is not to always walk away, right? It's to address, it's to address it, name it, and yes. do something about it. Yeah. When I always think about this, I imagine people at, the, at a fork in the road and they're kind of like going around in circles, mm-hmm. dragging their feet, you know, and not and can't decide which road to go down on, right? And, and the way out mm-hmm. of that isn't to walk away, but it's to take one of the forks in the road and see what happens and deal mm-hmm. with things as they yes. come up, right? So this is not to say the only way out of stable ambiguity or I call relationship purgatory is to break up and leave your partner. That's, that's not what we're saying at all. But it is to make a movement towards a decision, right? And yes. if it's irre- if it's if it's not something that can be reconciled, the answer is to walk away from the relationship and and do a you know a, a beautiful uncoupling or or you know a, a well managed relationship transition into whatever the next phase of this relationship is. Mm-hmm. It is knowing that oh these differences aren't going to be reconciled because I am not willing to budge, right? I think that is the biggest sign. Like mm-hmm. I am not. I'm. As a, as a poly person, I'm not willing to be in a, in a monogamous relationship or, you know, as a monogamous mm-hmm. person, I can't tolerate being in an open relationship, right? And, and have that mm-hmm. kind of resolve and then put it into action, right? And that, that is the point. Yeah. I think it's, it's and, and even going beyond that, it's not necessarily walking away from that relationship. It is choosing the relationship with yourself. Mm-hmm. It is saying that my joy, the remaining years and days of my life... I do not want in stuckness and in, in, in purgatory and ambiguity. I want thriving. <laughs> I want, mm. I want joy and I'm going to go through the effort of, of finding it. And, you know, so if you're in any of one of those scenarios or not, I mean, there's a lot of ways that you can figure out if you are stuck. For me, feeling lonely mm-hmm. in bed next to somebody 
mm-hmm. was a moment where I realized like, oh, there's something going on here. <laughs> I'm in purgatory right now. Mm-hmm. Right? Having the same conversations over and over and over and no one is changing their stance. Mm-hmm. No, no new information is being revealed. Absolutely. You're just unearthing things from the past instead of trying to figure out pathways to the future. That feels like stuckness for me. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I experience sometimes when I see people over a long period of time, I experience the same conversations over and over again to an extent that they sometimes feel verbatim. And Mm. of course, it's my job to point this out to people. And that's the work that I do with them to say, by the way, here's your here's your pattern. Here is your weekly, biweekly, six monthly pattern. It goes like this, this this and you loop around to this this and this right and sometimes that helps and sometimes people just go yep and they go you know go loop back into it right back into it well that's a sign right if you're in therapy or counseling or coaching long enough (laughs) that people can recognize your loop (laughs) that you can go on autopilot as a coach and just start saying like the same advice over and over again if you are in that for such a long time with no change or movement Mm -hmm. that is a sign that you are stuck exactly exactly and any of these especially if you're in therapy counseling or coaching that you're working with somebody and they're giving you ways out of that and you're not Mm, doing any of those things right so the work happens in between sessions like all of us professionals will tell you that. Let's say you work something out, you put some steps in place, you may want to change your communication style or decide on that weekly date, date night or whatever it is, and you're not actioning it, right? There's no change. There's no willingness to do anything. That's when you know you're in a relationship purgatory or you do it for a little bit, but you don't make a disciplined effort of, of actioning the things that come up in therapy, counseling or coaching. Yeah. Yeah. And even I imagine, I mean, I've been on the other side of this now as a coach of being in conversation with folks and it's such binary conversation, right? Mm-hmm. One person is always thinks they're right. They think mm-hmm. the other person is always wrong. And it just feels like our conversations are just opportunities for them to dig their heels into the ground more mm-hmm. to continue to point out the wrongness of the other person. And it mm-hmm. does not feel like they're coming to those spaces in the spirit of compromise, in the spirit mm-hmm. of resolution, Mm-hmm. And if that's the case too, if if you find yourself just wanting to remain angry, mm-hmm. wanting, choosing to remain stuck in your frustration, in your anger, in your loneliness, in your fear, mm-hmm. then yeah, sure. that feels like yeah, purgatory. Yeah, for sure. And sometimes uh, the compromise, right? Sometimes we get to that next level and there's like, oh, there's a, you know, here's the, here's the compromise. Here's the obvious compromise that needs to, needs to happen. And that compromise feels too far from what each person wants or needs right it's like Mm. oh sure that is the compromise but if that's what you do no one's gonna be happy right right? and sometimes that compromise is the stable ambiguity let's go back to the polymono mismatch let's say they say okay you can date it's once a month and you're home by midnight and the other person's like okay and you know once a month it happens and you mm-hmm. do it and no one's satisfied. The person who's at home is like worried, mm-hmm. anxious, dying, hates every second of it. The person yeah. who's going on a date is like, it's crazy. Like midnight is nothing. I'm, I can't concentrate on what I'm doing. I, you know, resent the person at home. Absolutely. Right. And you case, great. You compromise, but it feels shitty for everyone. Yeah. And you're just stuck there. Yeah. And breeds resentment. Exactly the word that you described. That yeah. when things remain unsaid and you stay stuck then it breeds resentment. 
Resentment is anger. That's really important, I think, to remember that these things ultimately dissatisfaction, disconnection, they end up with anger. And because you're in purgatory, the, the nature of purgatory is things aren't being addressed, which means mm-hmm. this anger just stays around, sticks around ages and ages and ages into resentment. That's essentially what you're dealing with. Yes. How many times have each of us had an argument or conversation in our mind over and over and over again, mm-hmm. but we've never said it out loud? Right. Mm -hmm. Where it's perfectly scripted in my mind, what I would say and what you would say. And it makes me furious as if we've actually said the thing, but we've not we've not voiced it out loud. So we've named stable ambiguity and relationship purgatory and talked about all of the ways that that looks and feels like. After the break, we're going to explore why do we get ourselves into these situations? Why is it so hard to get out? And what can we do to get ourselves unstuck? At the end of each episode, we share all the ways that you can stay curious and connected with us through our website, Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon. All of those things are great. So please do those things. But right now, we have a different kind of request. People who know about these things are telling us we're being shadow banned on Instagram, which means our posts are being suppressed. And honestly, There is not much we can do about it other than trying to work on our numbers and hope that eventually we'll break through. So yes, you can follow us on Instagram and it will help. At the same time, we don't like the status quo. We don't want to be at the whim of the social media gods who decide which content is okay and which content is not. So here's where you come in. Challenge the status quo with us. Social media is not the only place where we discover things. We would love for you to personally recommend this podcast to someone. Share one of our episodes about sexuality or relationships with a partner as a way to start a conversation about something you're interested in. Share an episode with a friend who you think might get a kick out of our humor or learn something from one of our guests. Share with someone you're chatting on OkCupid or Tinder as a more creative and foxy way to break the ice. Challenge the status quo and change the noise by sharing this podcast with someone. And then feel good about yourself for doing so. And now, back to the episode. Welcome back. So before the break, we named the experience of a relationship purgatory, or what Estelle Perot calls stable ambiguity. That's the experience when one or more people in the relationship are not happy, but they continue to function in this unhappy state, unable or unwilling to do anything to change it. We named three areas where Effie and I have seen and experienced this stuckness the most. When one person wants to be open and the other person doesn't. When one person has cheated and the other cannot move past the pain or mistrust. And when physical emotional intimacy has faded and partners and lovers transform into awkward and lonely roommates. Now we want to explore why we fall into and remain in these states of purgatory and what we can do to get unstuck. In my personal experience, and I've definitely been there, uh, and with my clients, I find there are some common whys, common reasons why people end up in relationship purgatory and and remain there for a long time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, doing what I do and working with people consistently, sometimes I'm surprised for how long people can endure this relationship purgatory, sometimes Mm -hmm. for years. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's very real for a lot of people. 
the common reasons that I've seen why people do this and, and stay there for so long. One of them is really this idea of entanglement is so daunting yeah. that staying together but unsatisfied seems just easier. Yeah. Doing nothing seems just easier than doing a bunch of things to, un yeah. to untangle lives, especially if you've been in a long-term relationship, especially if you've mixed finances, especially if you have children. Mm -hmm. The longer you've been in a relationship, the more investment that's gone into a relationship. It's just harder to untangle. And that's a fact. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that from folks just wanting to stay together for the children, not being able to afford living in separate places. Mm -hmm. And so you just either move into a different room or you just mm -hmm. sleep further on the other side of the bed or just the complication of having to tell everyone and having to, to deal with, like you said, all of just the untangling of all the pieces. It is a lot. I, I admit that could be really hard. I've thought about that too when in my in my dark moments of like all of the work now that would have to go into the mm. untangling and understand why people get to a place of feeling like staying feels less complicated. Mm -hmm. Right. And that it's just doing nothing and being in this half days um, and getting through days. Yeah, it just seems easier than you know, finding the oomph to disentangle and sort of figure out a new way of life. So, yeah, yeah I mean, understandable, understandable yeah. for sure. Yeah. But a compromise. Yeah. Yes. The other reason that I see a lot, which actually is more um, species level than personal, actually, and, and I do love, you know, I, I, I do find um, evolutionary uh, psychology to be absolutely fascinating because some of these things are so intertwined into our species, into our sort of amygdala, into our senses as, as just a part of the human experience. And one of that is, is that our brains seek familiarity mm. without a value judgment meaning regardless mm. of if the situation serves us or not we find that familiarity is is more comforting so mm. ultimately mm. familiar trumps good and and you know good in inverted commas right so it's not necessarily is this serving me it's like oh no this this feels familiar mm -hmm. especially when safety is at stake right mm -hmm. when a part of you feels that this relationship is essential to your sense of safety sometimes that's real and sometimes it's you know it's imagined it's it's experience it's imagined but but feels true right and that's all that matters and in those situations when you're like well you know we even say things like Better the devil you know, right? It's mm -hmm. a very much a, a you know ingrained saying in, into our language, meaning, well, it's the devil, like it, it sucks, but I kind of know what I'm getting myself into. So mm -hmm. might as well just like one foot in front of the other, you mm -hmm. know? Or absolutely, we say things like, it's just what happens in a long-term relationship, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is just what happens when you've been together for 10 years. This is just what happens after you have kids. This is just what happened. You know, this is just men just cheat. We know that, you know, women after a while don't want sex. We know that like, geez, mm -hmm. these, these social ideas that have been planted in our minds that make us think, well, at some point, unhappiness is inevitable. So right. might as well just lean into it. Stop dreaming for more and just go to get up, go to work, go back to sleep. Yeah. Mm hmm. The other reason that I find is just people have grown to be codependent. Mm. And what do we mean by codependency? It's when you feel that the identities of the individuals are intertwined, when mm -hmm. your sense of self has become somehow intertwined with somebody else's sense of self. And the idea of 
separating from that relationship feels like you will lose a sense of yourself. You will mm. lose something that's essential to you. It will be it will be intertwined and and it will be gone with the other person leaving, or you will leave it behind. Right? We mm-hmm. kind of have this 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 dynamic and. We talk about codependency a lot as an individual experience, right? It's like we talk about codependent couples and we make it really individual and really personal. Um, what I have noticed over time is that codependency in the current relationship model is almost inevitable. When you create these nuclear family situations, when you put couples in four walls, you cut them off from society, you tell them it's you two and the kids, the nuclear family model, we, you know, we are cut off from the village, right? Mm. And you make them face life, face parenting, face social, everything together. It is inevitable that we get so intertwined, we get so enmeshed, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's a societal issue, not just an individual or personal issue. Mm. When we, are talking about codependency even our own codependency i think there needs to be some some grace you know some understanding that it is not just the personal experience that we set up our modern societies to really um isolate couples isolate families and 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 sort of make them solely rely on each other and and that that's you know it's inevitable we grow codependent yeah and when you are in that situation when you're in that codependency dynamic it's so hard to go anywhere else. It's so hard to separate. Um, so the, the relationship purgatory just just seems to be the obvious holding pattern. It's just the, the least painful option. Yeah. And that became particularly true during the pandemic, right? And during during quarantine is enmeshment yeah. was inevitable in that way. And yes. they this did have to become your best friend and lover and, mm. you know, teacher and coworker. And and so what I hear you saying though, it's it's less about necessarily the monogamous structure. And it's about having resources and supports and connection outside of that relationship. So we're not talking about romantic connection, but saying I have friendships, I have companionship, I have inspiration, I have joy outside of and disconnected from my partner. Exactly. I exactly I have a the usual joke that that I have diversified my support network. I have diversified my connections. And and through those connections I have options. I have choices. I have different experiences that I have a confidant friend and a you know, mm-hmm. a parent that gives me advice that I can go and snuggle up to, or mm-hmm. um, I have a mentor that I can, you know, bounce ideas off with. And I have mm-hmm. a set of friends that I go drinking and, and dance with. And all these connections feed me and all these connections are important to me. Mm-hmm. And then so that if one of them isn't working, my life doesn't fall apart. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's crucial, monogamous, non-monogamous, solo, doesn't matter. It is really important for us to have those diverse sort of connections um, so that we feel grounded, not through just one relationship, but but with multiple relationships. Yeah. Can I ask you a question? Sure. So I'm thinking about one of the scenarios that we talked about, which is infidelity and what mm-hmm. happens there. And I think, you know, personally in my experience and what I've seen in my coaching work is that folks in, in many cases turn it to caricatures there is mm-hmm. the villain and the victim. There is the martyr. There is, and I'm wondering how that relates to kind of the intertwined identity. That if you're in an instance where there has been a transgression and now my identity is that you have hurt me, <laughs> that I was the angel and and you have, you have done such horrid things to me and I'm going to hold on to that. And you are the villain and you are also the person who is angry because it feels like there is no redemption. Like mm-hmm. that people can fall into those caricatures and patterns 
patterns and that could be hard to break. I'm wondering how that fits into if it, it, about it being comfortable to find yourself in that role and and challenging to to break out of it. Yes. I mean, this is the archetypes we talk about, right? And these archetypes are reinforced through, you know, the noise, right? Mm-hmm. From these archetypes of like the the hurt person, the martyr, the like these are archetypes that we're reinforced through media, stories, um, social, you know, social shares and all that kind of stuff. So it's the familiar, right? Mm-hmm. Those archetypes are very familiar. So our brain goes, even though I am hurt, this idea of the hurt person or the 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 martyr is so familiar to me, even if it's painful, I'm gonna choose that. I think it's that's that's really how how that dynamic that you're working that you're talking about works that the archetypes provide that familiarity that we talked about Mm -hmm. right you you then know like the villain Mm -hmm. right it's it's once you put that person into a villain that your brain is like oh i know exactly right the script exactly the script is laid out for me this is now how i behave yes right yeah right and i think because the script is there and it's just Mm -hmm. it's um you can like roll it over and over again. It actually keeps yes. you stuck in the purgatory, the relationship purgatory. Yeah. I think you just don't see that many um, representation of people who they're hurt from mm-hmm. um, the transgression. They experience it. They talk about it. They resolve it. They somehow move, you know, move past it, build trust and, and do it again. You just mm-hmm. don't see that many archetypes. You see mm-hmm. the victim, yeah. the villain, the martyr archetypes. And because we keep reliving it and reliving it and you just right. don't see that many. Right. And when you do, it's actually kind of stigmatized, right? So if, right. if a woman is scorned and she chooses her family mm-hmm. again or she chooses her partner again, you're like, they're either submissive mm-hmm. or they're naive, dumb or right? they're naive, mm-hmm. right? All these things that we we talk about. Yeah. Um, same with men, you know, the, these yeah. are obviously binary. I mean, these are archetypes, right? So they yeah. do exist in the binary because they're not real. Like you said, they're right. caricatures, right? right? Right, So a man that accepts, uh, reconciles with mm-hmm. their, their partner, uh, you know, after she's been cheating, Mm-hmm. is like not man enough mm-hmm. you know something is wrong with them so mm-hmm. there's like with all the archetypes there's also the you know the pushback if you're choosing not to fit into that archetype right 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 right, right. and any illustrations that we see that are different in media in movies if that's the case some big catastrophe has happened some big global mm-hmm. thing some magic instance has taken place to right. transform the two that didn't come right. we're not seeing the people go to therapy on their own right. go to relationship coaching doing the right. work we're seeing that like aliens have come and now we have <laughs> to like escape from them and so mm-hmm. in that we refine our love for each other or right. you know there's a there's a terrible accident and we're drawn back together right. that some external thing which i think a lot of people right. who are in purgatory and in this this space are are, are waiting for something mm-hmm. else to happen to mm-hmm. shake mm-hmm. to shake things and change things and, and that doesn't mm-hmm. happen for themselves yeah mm-hmm. i wonder in my experience one of the things that i have seen mainly honestly from partners and not from me is simply just conflict aversion just mm-hmm. Being stuck because they just don't want to deal with it, and and that, as you know, is not how I show up. And so I'm like, let's talk about it. Let's. Talk. And they're just like, no, like shut down. I don't want to mm-hmm. deal. And so interested in your experience, like with that, with your clients. Yeah, com- conflict aversion is very real, and mm-hmm. people who avoid conflict, even though they seem like cold people, I think this is what I've noticed over time. It's like your initial instinct to people who are conflict avoidant are. Uh, that they don't care right like that's what we that's what it seems yeah. like from the outside from the person who's experiencing 
the aversion feels like they don't care enough. They don't love me enough. They don't care enough. Or, or they're being duplicitous. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So um, what I've noticed is that people who avoid conflict actually care almost too much. Mm. That they, they experience the whole thing to be a lot. Yes. Uh, and that's why they're avoiding it. The, yeah. the, for them, it feels like death. Like the yes. fact that you're going to turn into, you're going to turn towards a conflict and deal with it feels unsafe. And that's, that's why they're actually avoiding it. It's not the topic that they're avoiding. It's how they feel yes. that they don't want to experience the, the, the emotional side, what they imagine the emotional side is going to be. Yes. That's what that they're averting. Yeah. Let me, I want to stay here for a second because this is something that actually took me years to understand. And, and part, part of me understanding it was really with your help. I remember when my wife and I were seeing you as our relationship uh, counselor and we were going through our hard points, I remember sitting in front of you and saying out loud to you and her, I am bleeding out in front of you. I felt like I was in such anguish, such visible anguish and pain over the transgression, over the infidelity, over the lack of trust, over the not communication. And I was saying, I'm bleeding out and you're just sitting there looking at me. And I was enraged because it felt like such carelessness. Mm -hmm. And I remember you saying, she is bleeding internally. Mm-hmm. You are exactly. bleeding out and she is bleeding internally. And and she said that is, and I, I realized, oh, that's true. I can't see the pain, but it's happening. There was like mm-hmm. a storm of pain happening inside of her. And I've now seen that in my relationship with my partner and with my daughter, both of which I think shut off at first when there's mm-hmm. conflict, completely shut down and shut off which just sends me into a complete like tizzy. Like I just can't like, and I've learned over time, like, okay, give some spaciousness. Like that's what's going on. But then when finally the emotion does kick in, it is actually much bigger and deeper than I would have expected. And unfortunately, I think layered over it is the initial pain and then the shame and pain around the fact that they shut down and Mm -hmm. saw the impact of them shutting down on me and then feel bad about that. So feel overwhelmed by the feeling, then finally feel the feeling and then feel bad that they couldn't feel the feeling. And it's just, and so, but I want to name that because for me, for a long time, I I was absolutely one of those folks that was like, oh, you just don't care. Mm -hmm. And now I'm like, oh, you care. First of all, you're caring on the inside and I can't see (laughs) it. And it's also the calm before the storm. Like once those feelings come out, like everybody hold on because there's a lot that's going on in there. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's, and I see that, I see that over and over again with clients and, and I, when, you know, when I explain the internal external bleeding, it does, it get, does get, you know, get people to understand what happens. And, you know, if you imagine, in fact, a quick anecdote, for example, when uh, EMTs arrive at a, when EMTs arrive at an accident, they are trained not to go for the person that's screaming the loudest, that is um, the bloodiest, because the people who are not screaming are actually in much dire situation because they're either unconscious or they're you know they they actually need more help because they're not conscious enough to tell you they need help so right so like you would imagine that when you arrive that you would go for the person that's screaming that's holding on to like a bloody wound but that person's actually able to hold uh, help themselves like they have a hand on a wound and Mm. they're asking for help they're so much more compass than somebody who's lying there that might be bleeding internally and might have a head injury interesting yeah so this is like just think about that yeah Yeah. that the numbness actually is a sign of deeper pain yes 
And not being able to help themselves. Yeah, yeah. And I, at some point, we need to do a whole nother episode just simply on conflict aversion. Because I think mm-hmm. one other thing that I'll name that you also have shared that has stuck with me is the analogy of the bomb. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think for those of us who are like, let's talk about the thing, let's confront the thing, let's discuss the thing. Mm-hmm. Can you share that out? Because when you shared that with me in my frustration and sharing with you in my own partnership of like, but she just won't have the conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. and, and so, yeah, so share out that that just that quickly because it, it was so helpful for me. Yes. So people who are conflict averse, uh, averse, they they know there's a problem, right? And it, for them, the way that I think about it is they they hear it ticking of a bomb, right? And they hear yeah. it ticking down and they're aware of it. And the more they hear the, th- the ticking, the, they're going, I, there's a bomb, it's ticking down and I don't want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And the, so mm-hmm. and it ticks down and they let it happen. They're turning away from it. There's like, they're like, ah, oh, there's a bomb. It's ticking. At some point, it's going to explode. And and because of that, they turn away from it and away from it. And ultimately, it explodes because timer ticks down and it explodes. And they're like, you see, I knew this was going to happen. It was ticking and now it's exploded. So their fear is actually reinforced that if there's a ticking bomb and eventually it's going to explode and it's going to be a mess. What the idea with people who struggle with dealing with conflict, the skills is almost learning to be a bomb disposal person, which mm-hmm. is put on your armor so you get yourself <laughs> regulated, you put yourself in a good place, you know your skills, you know what you're doing, and you put on your armor, you turn towards the bomb, and you're like, okay, it's ticking, someone's right. gonna deal with it, I'm gonna have to deal with it. And if you are equipped for it, if you have your armor on, if you know how to defuse a bomb, and this is uh, conflict mm-hmm. skills of conflict resolution, this is emotional regulation, this is communication, yeah. then you can turn towards the bomb and at least have a go at defusing. Because it's going to explode anyway. Right. <laughs> well, that was the piece. That was the piece that always stuck with me. Is I was right. like, well, why don't they, why doesn't she try to diffuse it? And she's like, you're saying, because likely she's going to mix wires somehow. Right. She's going to say the wrong thing and it's going to explode anyway. And if she's looking at it and it explodes, it's actually going to be harder than if she is turned away and it explodes. <laughs> right, right, right. And I think the key, the key pieces yeah. there is, is that, you do need the skills. Like you and yeah. I couldn't turn into a turn towards a bomb, and like it's not like right. in the movies. You don't cut a wire. You know, <laughs> right. it's a pretty complicated <laughs> process, right? And same with diffusing. A, right. you know, same with getting me bomb. not to be angry. Right. If there was only a wire to cut, that would make things so much easier for everybody. Yeah. No. I know. Right? <laughs> or you just knew the password. If you just said the thing, you know. Right, um, it's true. But you know, it's complicated. It's complicated. You need to learn your skills. You need to be ready. And it's and so at some point, you need to find the courage. You need to say, "Look, yeah. this bomb's gonna explode if I ignore it, or if I try to at least defuse it. At least I have a chance. Yeah. And I have the courage to at least have a go because it might explode this time." But I might learn something from it. And next time I might just try again. I might just try again. And that takes courage. That is actually attempting to step out of the purgatories, attempting to shake up the the stable ambiguity. Yes, yes. Can I just tell a a 60 second story? And then I promise we'll keep, we keep naming because there's so many more things to go through. But last night, my daughter and I were in the midst of a conflict. She overreacted to something and just reacted in such a big and emotional way for something that, that, that shouldn't have been. And then that triggered me. And we were just like in that locked space of now we're just mm-hmm. angry with each other. And I said to her at some point in the evening, okay, I'm going to go to bed. And we had talked earlier about spending the day, spending the evening together. So then she wrote me, texted me and was like, I thought we were going to hang out. And I was like, yeah, I'm not in that space right now mm-hmm. to hang out. So then she said, okay, what do I need to do to fix it so that we don't waste the evening? And my daughter's 10 now. 
let me just, I just need to name that. What do I need to do? What do we need to do to fix this so that we don't waste the evening? And then we ended up having this text exchange back and forth. Okay, wife, I need, I need you to see that I was upset about that. And she was like, yes, that's true. I, see, I do see that, but I need you to see this. And I'm like, okay, I see that. And we had this whole text exchange and then we had peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and then we were fine and everything was good. But as we were eating our peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, she said, I just want to point out how brave I was. <laughs> she did. She's like, I just want to say I was the one to reach out first. I asked what we needed to do. And I just want to name how brave I was. And I was like, yes, yes. baby. That was very brave. And so, that is so good. That is, she's 10, but she's your daughter, Jackie. And that is like, I, you know, I, you and I are close. We spend a lot of time together. Yeah, I love you. You're, you know, you're very close to me. You're my family. And, uh, and, and you know, I know your daughter. And there's like, yep. She's your daughter. Yeah. 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 Apple doesn't fall fall far from the tree. For sure. For sure. Um, That like smartness, but that awareness, but she's Uh still going to get her thing in. Exactly. She she was like, just so we're all clear. (laughs) I am the one as the 10 year old child who ended this war. Just want to make sure for the record. Uh, I I mean, we went on a little bit of a tangent, but I think this is important because it is, Mm. again, and we're going to talk in a few minutes about how do you get yourself unstuck. Mm -hmm. But when you have someone who is conflict diverse, either two people who are conflict diverse, which is really Mm -hmm. challenging, or one person that's conflict diverse and the other person that leans into conflict, Mm -hmm. then you can find yourself in in the stuck point. I think the other thing we talked about, Esther Perel naming stable ambiguity, one of the ways that Mm -hmm. she defines that as having a mix of comforting consistency and the freedom of blurry lines. And I think that's another reason why people say stuck Mm -hmm. is that it is comforting that I am with you and we're in this thing. Mm -hmm. But there's actually also, particularly for someone maybe who has transgressed Mm -hmm. or someone who is avoidant or someone who has, you know, is used to hiding secrets. There is some freedom in the fact that things are not clear and defined and spoken through. And, and we can't underestimate that, that freedom. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can't cross a line if there is no line. Mm. Right? You can't break a promise if there is no promise. Yes. Right? So, And if, if everyone's does, mad already. Right. <laughs> like, if exactly. they're pissed and not having sex with me already, then like, well, right. you know, what can I do to make it worse? Nothing really. Might as well just exactly. do the thing and, and come back. Because no matter if I come home at midnight, if I come home at two, you're going to be mad. Right. So why come home at midnight then? If you're going to be mad, I might as well just stay out the extra two hours. Exactly. And there are no consequences, right? Yeah, this is, this is the, exactly. co- the, comforting consi- yes. the comforting consistency. But you there's go no at 12, you get 2 p.m. There's no consequences. There's madness, right. but you're used to the madness because yes, the other person has just chosen to be mad. And right. you're like, oh, well, I know what's coming. Like, they're going to be mad. They're going to yep. be upset with me. But we're just going to, you know, go to bed, wake up again and go and through the day again. again. So yeah. start all over again. So what 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 is my motivation to do anything different? You know, yeah. and, you know, we also talked about this. This is your, you know, this is your expertise. For change, you need impetus and comfort and no lines, mm-hmm. no definition. Mm-hmm. None of those things are are conducive towards any kind of change. Yes. Right? Yes. Nobody changes out of comfort. Right, right. You have to be, you have to eventually realize that the discomfort that you are feeling now is worse than any discomfort that you will feel in the midst of change. That the pain you're feeling now, the longing that you're feeling now, the desperation, the suffocation becomes Mm -hmm. so intolerable that the discomfort of change actually feels like a relief. 
Right. That is often what happens when there's two things that motivate folks to change. One is pull motivation. The other is push motivation. Pull motivation is I hate my job, but wait, there's this other job that's recruiter reached out to me. There's this other opportunity. Oh, I'm mm. stuck in my relationship. Ooh, but there's this sexy, fun, amazing person who's flirting with me and wants to, mm. in both of those instances, you were pulled into something else. But for many folks who are stuck, there is no other thing. And you have to push yourself out of that situation. And the only way sometimes to push yourself out is to feel so like your situation is so intolerable mm-hmm. that anything else, the alternative has to be better than this. Right, yeah. right, yeah. right. Exactly. And also blurred lines in order to be changed, you need to define something yes. and then you need to change towards something else. 100%. If there are blurred lines, that means you're not defining something. And if you don't define something, you can't change from that thing. Yes. Yes. Right? So this idea of comforting consistency and freedom of blurred lines is not where change comes from. It's not where change lives at all. Yeah. Yeah. And as you're talking, it makes me think what you said earlier, everything feels like it boils down to safety. Absolutely. The reason why we do stay in these situations is to be mm-hmm. safe. Yes, yes. This is something we're going to cover, you know, over a few episodes. And we actually have a whole episode about this from a from a physical, from a somatic experience base in next in next episode. And this is something that I've been doing deep dives into that so many things, when you boil them right down, when you dig and excavate and, and explore, you reach to the bottom, you get to the core of like, what is the thing? And I keep bumping into the same thing as a sense of safety that it is physical safety, for example, you know, relying on your partner financially, right? Mm. Or emotional safety that you have, you know, a fear of abandonment, right? Or social safety, the implications of being a divorcee, right? Mm. That, that there is, that, that at some level, on some level, consciously, subconsciously, that you feel that you're unsafe. It's real or perceived uh, danger that you're not going to be safe mm-hmm. and it affects our decision making on so many fronts that we approach these situations from a prevention place right mm-hmm. not a creation place mm-hmm. that you that you're like oh i don't feel safe so um i'm not gonna move it's it's the um you know we talk about fight flight freeze fawn it's yes. the it's the the freeze and fawn place mm-hmm. right i'm just I, I don't feel safe even though this sucks Mm-hmm. I'm going to like put one foot in front of the other. Yeah. Um, and I think that um, is a huge component of why people stay in this um, stable ambiguity or relationship purgatory for sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So the million dollar question then is how do we get unstuck? We find ourselves in purgatory. <laughs> we find ourselves in stable ambiguity. How do we find clarity and how do we find movement? And this is actually, this is where a lot of my work lives with people, with organizations. Mm-hmm. And I think that the first part of it, frankly, is coming to terms with the situation. Mm-hmm. I think that when you are in a stuck place, you keep saying like, it's okay. It's fine. It's okay. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Mm-hmm. And really the first part is say, it's not okay. Mm-hmm. And let me, let me explain. Certainly to live a life where there is no, where you are physically safe, your physical needs are met and that can be okay. And for, mm-hmm. for many folks in the world, you know, that is that potentially is what is close to thriving as, as they can hope for is, is that physical, physical safety. And we want more than that, right? Mm-hmm. Thriving looks like mm-hmm. feeling seen. Thriving mm-hmm. looks like having touch. Thriving mm-hmm. looks like having eroticism, which is aliveness and mm-hmm. joy and creativity. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if if you're void of those things in your life, in your relationship, then that's not okay. Mm-hmm. And and it, it it is about taking off the rose-colored glasses mm-hmm. 
and confronting the things that really feel hard Mm -hmm. and then saying, uh, sitting in that for a minute Mm -hmm. and realizing, frankly, that when you sit in that, a whole bunch of stuff is going to come up for you, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. in your physical body, right? Anxiety and hurt and fear and pain. And we can't make good decisions from that Mm -hmm. space. And so sitting in the truth of it and then creating and nurturing a sense of safety in that moment, you talk about this a lot and and I'm trying to get better at this of really the somatic approach to connection Mm -hmm. and breath and Mm -hmm. meditation and being able to calm oneself with one's mind. I mean, I used one of your techniques, frankly, that you gave me not too long ago where I was feeling anxious and I started going, looking around the room and naming Mm -hmm. the things that I saw and naming Mm -hmm. the colors that I saw just to continue Mm -hmm. to ground myself in that space and in that moment. But we need to self-regulate. Yeah, absolutely. I think we don't realize that when we feel, when we don't have a sense of safety, it's, for some people, it's so intense that they don't have a sense of safety in their own body. Like they don't, yeah. we need to get to a place, at least we feel safe in our own skin. Yes. That we have some sort of a way to get in touch with our nervous system, get in touch with the way that our bodies reacting to things and regulate ourselves just in our own skin, right? Before we can even reach outside our skin and look at our environment, we need to be able to to develop, learn skills and techniques that allow us to regulate our emotional state, our nervous system within mm-hmm. our own skin, within our own body. And like you said, movement, sound, breath, meditation, these are, mm-hmm. for a long time I resisted them. I'm, I'm the least woo-woo person that I know. And when I look at the stuff, I don't look at it as woo-woo. Yes, there's a woo-woo spiritual component. And if that works for you, great. There's, there's, I don't have any mm-hmm. kind of value judgment to that. I just see that as a, it works, right? It's scientific. It works. It's physical. It has results. So I don't need it to be spiritual. I just know that these techniques work in my body and help me regulate myself. And when I, you know, explain these to clients and you use them as well, mm-hmm. um, they see a huge difference. And true. once you're able to do that, making decisions from that place, you're you're gonna you're gonna make. Uh, much more sustainable uh, long-term decisions than if you're just reacting because you're you're triggered like you're you know 100%. you're freaked out let's yes. you know let's let's be you know common yes. language if you're freaked out you're yes. not going to be making long-term sustainable decisions yes because let me tell you i make all sorts of plans in the midst of my pissedness right yes. i'm planning what i'm gonna pack in my suitcase uh, i'm yeah, planning what uh, i'm gonna tell you when you walk through the door mm-hmm. i'm planning where i'm gonna go and how like oh i got plans yes. i have lots of plans when mm-hmm. i'm in emotionally triggered space those are not the plans that are going to leave me to thriving <laughs> those yes. are not the plans that are going to get me unstuck so there yeah. that's the distinction is coming to terms with it and then figuring out okay now what do i do with, with all these emotions for mm-hmm. me i can tell when i am not in that space Space when I cannot stand the silence. When the second that I am done with a Zoom call, I have to put on a podcast, or the second, like I have to constantly be listening to something. When I see myself doing that, I'm like, oh, you're trying to avoid something right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're trying not to sit in the silence. And so, so the first step is, yeah, come to terms, be able to sit in the silence and do the things that you need to do to self-regulate, work with your nervous system in order to be in that silence and really hear what you need. And then the next step is is to create a plan. And let me say, I don't mean a plan for what you're going to do within the next one year, two year, three year, four year, five year. What are you going to do this week and this month? Like when you are in this initial stage of trying to break out of stuckness, 
you do not have the capacity to think five years down the line. What can happen most immediately to get a little bit of movement? So when you're calm, when you're not triggered, start to think about what your next step could be. Just immediate next step in order to gain some emotional safety, some social safety, some financial safety, particularly physical safety. I mean, if you're feeling unsafe in your current situation, then we're going to put some some numbers in our, our show notes. Please reach out to someone who can support and help you through that. If you're feeling worried, though, about being alone, being unloved, being uncared for, under-resourced, if you end your relationships, then that's when you start to figure out, okay, what are some things that I can do? And so you need to address that fire alarm in your mind, right? Your brain, as you've said, is, is designed to keep you safe and alive. And if your brain believes that you are going to be unloved, uncared for, under-resourced out into the world, then your brain's like, well, you better stay right here. Do mm-hmm. not go anywhere because that is unsafe. And mm-hmm. so your brain needs to begin to see evidence that you will be safe before those safety triggers can actually quiet down. That fire alarm of like, don't go, don't go, don't go, don't go is going to stay ringing until you start to see some evidence of, oh, okay, it's not that bad out there. Mm-hmm. And those are little tiny acts of bravery, mm-hmm. little things that you can do to illustrate to yourself that change is possible. And so that could be, if it's financial, maybe it's starting your own checking account and just putting little bits of money in there to prove to yourself, oh, I can save, I can do this on my own. Maybe it's having a date with yourself, mm-hmm. right? Going out to dinner, cooking for yourself, going to that museum exhibit that you have been wanting to go to because the idea in your mind is that you're going to be all alone, that all of your joy <laughs> is wrapped up in being in this relationship and that you're never going to find comfort or excitement again finding some of that on your own. And we'll talk about how to do that with other people. But right now, little acts of bravery by yourself. And then just try not to control the situation on a particular night is an example for me. I have this myth in my mind that if I do not control things, everything will fall apart. Mm -hmm. If I do not make dinner, people will starve and die. Mm -hmm. Right. If I do not make sure that my daughter is on top of her schedule in the morning, she will never arrive at school and will end up uneducated. Right. There is this Mm -hmm. like wild myth in my mind that I have to control each thing. Mm -hmm. And when I don't cook dinner, then she makes a grilled cheese sandwich and everybody, everybody is fine. Right. And when I don't address like the scary thing and I go to bed, I actually wake up a little calmer and we both can talk about it. Like it didn't need to be addressed at three in the morning that night. Mm -hmm. So even just that act of bravery of choosing not to control the situation, Mm -hmm. just doing something to disrupt Mm -hmm. the pattern that you've been doing and just watching to see what happens because Mm -hmm. your brain is watching and your brain is like, oh, things didn't fall apart. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's sometimes our brains trick us, right? Um, we do, we, you know, we tell people to um, listen to their gut, listen to their instincts, and we're going to do a whole episode about that as well. I think the thing to remember that the prime directive to be nerdy for our brains is survival. It is not to thrive. It's not to find the erotic. It's not to um, find excitement. Prime directive, first and foremost, we have to survive. And sometimes that survival instinct is not really setting you up to thrive. And I think mm-hmm. that's 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 so important that sometimes you're gonna have to figure that out for yourself. And sometimes that's really hard to figure out for yourself. And one of the things that really helps with this trying to get out of a relationship purgatory is to find a professional to help you. Yes. Right. That is that is a counselor, that is a, th- a therapist, that's a coach, that is somebody, a professional that that you feel that can support you. I think that is the most important thing. I think absolutely you want the right, you know, you want people with good qualifications, good experience, all those things. 
above all that you feel like that person is right for you and your your situation, your relationship, and that they can help you sometimes override that overworked um, survival sense to then to see, okay, what are some of the things that I can do that maybe goes a little against my survival instinct, but ultimately is going to set me up to thrive. And it's going to be, it's going to be more towards what I can create rather than what I can prevent for sure. Absolutely. I'm going to give actually three specific examples, one for each of the scenarios that we described earlier. So poly mono mismatch, frustration and, and, and admit lack of trust after transgression and lack of intimacy. So if you are in a poly mono mismatch situation and you find yourself to be stuck, one thing to do if, let's say, your partner is going out and actually, you know, there's some construct where you allow them to go out and they have some dates, but you're, you're at home the whole time and you are looking at their location a hundred times on their phone. <laughs> you're wondering what they're doing. You're imagining that. You just cannot concentrate. Can you go to a movie? Can you go out with a friend? Can you order in your favorite meal and take a bath? And can you do something for yourself and not obsess just that one night? I promise you, if you want to start obsessing tomorrow, go ahead and do that. But just for one night, let's see what happens when you don't obsess. Let's see what happens when they come back at two in the morning instead of midnight and you don't start an argument. Let's see what happens when you show up with some curiosity and they say that they're interested in something else. And instead of saying, well, but you get everything here and that's just not how it is. And you know what marriage is. You say, tell me more about that. Just having a question. Just try that. Mm -hmm. If you are trying to rebuild trust after transgression, I would say curiosity again feels like, feels like a good solution there. And to say, so tell me what you got from that experience. Mm -hmm. Like, tell me more about what that felt like for you. You're clear about the pain that it caused me. Mm -hmm. I'm interested. Knowing that you love me and that it would cause me pain, you did that for a reason. Mm -hmm. And really listening to the answer of that, right? If you, if you can stand it, just doing something there that, that, that invites some curiosity. And if there's a lack of intimacy or connection, I would say text somebody and say, I miss you. Or when you're sitting next to each other, just grab their hand and hold their hand. Just that little something that breaks out of that routine that you have where that person is like, wait, you've just asked me a question about how I felt about it. What? Or you just held my hand like, huh? Right. It's, let's let's all take the advice of my ten year old daughter. Essentially, yeah. <laughs> let's be the first one oh, wise to be yeah. brave and to do one little act of bravery. And yes, absolutely, to potentially do that in consult with a professional. My wife shared the other day we were reflecting on how far we've come in our relationship, and she named that she really believes that one of the reasons why we are still together is because of you, Effie Blue. And because of the work that we did with you, because yeah. you allowed us, and we are two really hardworking, reflective, exactly. thoughtful exactly. people, but exactly. we were very much stuck in our stories. Mm -hmm. And being able to work with someone who we could trust allowed us to be able to see a perspective that we could not see. I could mm -hmm. not see that she was bleeding. Mm -hmm. She could not see past her patterns and mm -hmm. you invited, you opened the door to that insight that allowed for healing. And so working with a professional is really incredibly helpful. Yes. I, I think, um, it, you know, it, it was my pleasure and I'm so glad that I was able to help you. And I think the piece that I want to point out is that working with a professional, right? Right. Professional is really mm. important. Um, 
and working, doing the work. Um, mm -hmm. You and your wife absolutely did the work. Um, you mm -hmm. were open-minded, you listened, you implemented what you what we talked about. I think it's a two-way process. If just because you're seeing, just because you're showing up a session every month, every mm -hmm. week, um, it doesn't mean things are going to get because things are going to get better. You have to have to have to do the work yourself. So, mm -hmm. and I'm so glad I could help. And I 100% acknowledge your work in that. Yeah. Both of you. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. I think part of working with you is what I would say is the next piece of advice in this process of getting unstuck, which is working with someone else allows you to begin to change the noise, mm -hmm. to see another perspective. First, you, number one, can feel seen and realize that you are not crazy. You are not alone in whatever it is that you are feeling that other people have gone through these scenarios and have survived, that they have stepped off of the prescribed path, that this is not the inevitable destiny for your relationship, that you can step off of this treadmill and people have done it and people have lived to tell the tale, that people have found thriving. So if you can find first community around the things that you're struggling with, that helps to change the noise. If you can find community and uh, role models and friends who are experiencing the type of relationship you would like to experience and be in, particularly if they're doing it differently, that provides inspiration and permission for you to do something different. And if you just get further connection and community so that you are not completely obsessed and reliant on what is happening in your relationship. Other people to go dancing with, to have meals with, to watch movies on Netflix via Zoom with somebody else that can hear you so that you are your whole identity is not wrapped up in this relationship and these other people. Mm. All of that changing of the noise truly from experience saying to you makes a difference. And the very last thing I would say is once you go through those steps, then the opportunity for you to dream again. What would you want? What did your wildest dream look like? What is a better scenario than what you have now? And from there is where you can create that longer term plan past this week, past this month, into the next few years. So if you're still curious and you want to you want to learn some more, then you need to go onto our website. There's information there about ways in which you can get in touch with your body, ways in which you can recover from infidelity, that you can learn about attachment and grief, that you can find other curious folks who are going through similar things. The Curious Fox website is the hub to all of those things. We are CuriousFoxes.com. On there, you're going to find out where to link to our Instagram, to our Facebook, to our Patreon, to the podcast. Go to the website. It is the hub for all other things. And we want to hear from you. If this conversation has resonated, then you can do two things to let us know. Number one, you can leave us a review on whatever podcast platform that you are looking at. We read them all and love them. And you can reach out to us at listening at wearecuriousfoxes.com or you can record your note or voice memo and send it to us or give us a call at 201-870-0063. This episode is produced and edited by Nina Pollock, who provides us with stable clarity week in, week out. Our intro music is composed by Dev Saha. We are so grateful for their work. And we're grateful to you for listening. As always, stay curious, friends. Curious Fox Podcast is not and will never be the final word on any topic. We solely aim to encourage curiosity and provide a space for exploration through connection and story. We encourage you to listen with an open and curious mind and we'll look forward to your feedback. Stay curious, friends. 
Stay curious. 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 Stay curious.